This is Motley Pool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined by Robert Brokamp. Hi. Hi. Still no Diana. Oh. But she'll be back in a couple weeks. Yep. So you just got to hold on a little longer. Later in the show, even though we don't have Diana, we will be joined by James Early, Motley Fool analyst and dividend aficionado, to discuss a few of the different strategies you can use when investing in dividends. We're also going to get the results of Robert's online grocery price check. Very exciting. Yes, yes, very exciting. All this and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, bro, you just actually came back from a little trip to Chicago. I did, yes. It was the annual Morningstar Investment Conference. And what is the annual Morningstar Investment well, Conference? Well, first of all, in case you don't know, Morningstar is probably best known as one of the earlier companies to rate mutual funds, but they offer all kinds of services. They um, analyze stocks, but they offer all kinds of services to financial advisors. So, this actually wasn't a conference for financial advisors. So. They have all kinds of sessions on retirement planning and investing and things like that. So that's what I did. And I believe that you took very good notes. And so you're here to share with us a few of the coolest things that you learned while you were out there. I did. Cool might be a stretch, but some oh. things that hopefully we could all learn from. And I'm going to focus the first three really on just a, a session I attended about retirement planning, since I am the retirement expert here at The Motley Fool. And the first thing that I learned, and I knew this already, was People who use calculators are more likely to have a better retirement. So they had a slide up there. It said if people, if you didn't never use any kind of retirement calculator, you had less than fifty thousand dollars saved. Those who had done it, some sort of calculation, maybe just a very simple online retirement calculator, had about one hundred twenty thousand saved. Those who used a more sophisticated retirement program like computer software, it was over two hundred thousand or so, maybe no, a little less than two hundred thousand. And those who use a computer but also got advice from a financial planner had over 200,000 saved. So, and this has been known for a while. There's a woman named Anna Maria Lusardi who is an economics professor. Um, she's done research that also established this, and she told Forbes that saving more is hard, and if people don't do the calculations and see the numbers, they don't save more. But couldn't this also be a chicken and the egg thing, where well, it's like if you actually care about your money, you're going to bother using a calculator? Right. I think I think that's part of it. But some of the research shows that when people see a number, like oh, I have to have this much before I retire, and to do that, I need to save this much per month. It gives them something concrete to hold on to and say, all right, it gives them a goal. Otherwise, it's just sort of this vague, like, yeah. I'll retire. Also, when people see the actual numbers, it, ins- it inspires them to start saving immediately. Whereas a lot of people are like, well, I'll get to that later. And they don't realize that for every five or 10 years you put it off, you've, you've made saving for retirement a lot more difficult. Do you have a particular retirement calculator that you like the best? Well, there's a site called The Motley Fool. Oh, I think I've heard of that, that one. That has one. It's, it's called their Am I Saving Enough? What Can I Change calculator? And uh, also Tiro Price as a really good retirement calculator. So, give those a try. Cool. All right. What's the next thing that you learned? Uh, so, an emerging um, trend among 401k plans is for companies to sign you up automatically. So, you don't join the company and say, okay, it's, I should sign up for the 401k. They automatically enroll you. And then you always have the choice to say no, but you're enrolled. So, uh, and this has been great for participation rates, according to Fidelity. Companies where they don't have auto enrollment, about 55% of the companies of the employees participate. If there's auto enrollment, about 82% of the employees participate. So that's great. It turns out though that whenever you, as a company, decide to auto enroll, and we did this here at the Motley Fool, and I was part of it because I'm on the 401k committee, you have to choose an amount, 
Like how much am I going to automatically take out of your paycheck to put into your 401k? And we chose, most people chose around 3%. The problem is too many people stay at that 3%. And you're not going to be able to retire if you're not saving 10 to 15%. A lot of companies, including here at The Motley Fool, have solved this by having auto escalation. So every year we automatically take more out of your 401k, out of your paycheck to put in your 401k. The problem is the turnover among employees is huge. So people never stay at the same employer long enough for that auto escalation. One stat that I heard there was, you know, there's over there's over 300 million people in America. Last year, 57 million people left their jobs. They either got laid off or they quit. 60 million entered new jobs. So, you know, that shows that our employment rate is dropping. A lot of those people who left their jobs joined new jobs. But that's huge turnover. That much that many people leaving their jobs, going to another job. And as we talked about in previous episodes, a lot of those people then take their 401ks and cash them out. Um, so all of that means that while auto-enrollment has been a good first step, it's not, um, it's not the end-all, be-all of retirement saving. And if you've been in auto-enrolled, you should bump up your savings rate. It's not the Rompopil meat rotisserizer. You said it and forget it. That's the one I was trying That's, to think I thought, about. I thought that was That's where you were exactly trying to go. It. Yes. All right. What other awesome, interesting, cool thing did you learn? Well, very quickly, there's a company called Hello Wallet, which is sort of like a mint, a version of mint, but it's offered mostly through employers. And they were recently acquired by Morningstar. But they have something called their financial wellness index. What they found, you answer a bunch of questions and the things, and it says, okay, here's your score from zero to 100. What they found is when they show people that financial wellness index, it inspires people to get more engaged in their finances. One of their studies showed that someone, when they started doing that, um, there was $600 more in people's accounts just after one month. And they also compare it to your peers, so you can see whether you're doing better or not. Very motivating. It's very motivating. You don't have to sign up for Hello Wallet. There are studies that show that if you just monitor your net worth regularly, not every day, but regularly, it gives you more of a sense of like, hey, I'm making progress, or oh no, I'm falling behind. It inspires you to get more engaged with your finances. And you can also listen to, we did an episode on Am I Average a few months back. Right. So you can go back and listen to that and find out what the average net worth is. Exactly. Um, but also, as a good reminder, as we learned on that episode, just keeping up with average is often not good enough either. So, right. Womp womp. Use a retirement calculator to find out if you're on track. How's that? That sounds good. All right. What's the last awesome thing you want to bring back to us from Morningstar? And this was actually a quote from David Kelly, who's the chief global strategist at uh, JP Morgan. And he said, you know, investing is actually kind of interesting in that basically the investing industrial complex, mutual funds, financial advisors, were basically. It sounds so evil (laughs) when you put it that way. (laughs) He said, you know. The hegemony of. What if someone someone came to to you and said, hey, give me your wallet. I'm going to give it back to you at some point in the future. Might have more money in it, might not have more money on it, but trust me, it's going to work out fine. And that's what. We do when we hire a financial advisor or give money to a mutual fund. We're giving our money, and we don't. We have no idea what it's going to be worth. It requires a significant amount of trust. Um, so the final lesson there is: go with people who are trustworthy. Actually, Morningstar has a stewardship grade for mutual fund companies, so you can see who they grade as the people who are taking the best care of their clients' money. And if you go to a financial advisor, same thing. We recommend fee only financial advisors, they're fiduciaries, which means they have to legally put your interests first. You got to go with someone you trust because you're handing over 
in many cases, your life savings. You want to make sure they take care of it. Would you trust me with your wallet? Oh, I most definitely would. Thanks, man. Sure. I would trust you with mine, too. Thanks. Well, you going to go back next year? Absolutely. Chicago, great city. Highly recommend it. I highly recommend it, too. I do yeah. like that town. My kind of town. Yay! James Early is back! <laughs> Aw, thank you. <laughs> I wish everybody said that when I came around. <laughs> when you walk in the door to yeah, your yeah. home and says so like, eh, Dad, the basement's flooded again. <laughs> That's right. Aw. <laughs> For those of you who did not listen to last week's episode, James Early is the advisor for Motley Fool Income Investor. It's our newsletter that focuses on mm-hmm. investing in dividends. And so he is here to take us to the next level and teach us some more advanced stuff about dividends, which is great, because dividends are great. Remind our listeners how great dividends are. Dividends are great because two reasons. First of all, functionally, they give you a choice. It's like being on a moving walkway at an airport. You can walk additionally, or you can just stand there. Either way, you're still making progress. In other words, you can reinvest your dividend if you want to make even more money in that company, or you can just take the cash. So you have that choice. But also, statistically, dividend stocks are shown to outperform. They constitute the majority of the market's return over any long period of time. And I don't know about anybody listening, but I love the idea of starting off with a statistical advantage right out of the gate. It means that I could just pick almost any dividend stock and I have some edge automatically over the non-payers. I'll add a couple other advantages. So qualified dividends are taxed at a lower rate than ordinary income. So they're not taxed as much. In fact, if you're in the 15% tax bracket or lower, they're not taxed at all, which is nice. And historically, infl- the dividends paid by companies increase at a rate that exceeds inflation. So let's say you're a retiree, you want income. Of course, you want that income to keep up with the cost of living. Dividends, broadly diversified portfolio of dividends, of course, um, will keep up with that cost of living on a tax advantage basis. And a bond will definitely not do that. No, right. You get a bond, pays you 3% every year, it's going to pay that same 3% each and every year. Dividends over the long term will keep growing. I'm sold. Let's get me some dividends. That's it. Thank you all for listening. Bye. I love it. So there is more than one way to skin this cat. Of dividends. Uh, there are a number of different styles and different kinds of dividend companies that you can invest in. So, James here is going to walk us through a few of them, starting with gross dividend companies. Sure, sure. And, and let me just preface this by saying there are different ideologies within dividend investing, and people have them, but they don't always know, they're not always sort of aware that they have them or aware of the other ones. So, I'm trying to kind of frame this up in this way. So, you'll see somebody's talk about a certain style as if it's obvious that everybody in the world would follow that style. It's, it's not necessarily. So, it's good to sort of understand this big picture. So, dividend growth is, is one style. There is a lot of good evidence to support dividend growth investing. And what it means, let me just back up, what it means is finding a company that is more likely to grow its dividend over time. And often, these companies don't start out with terribly high yields. Maybe it's a a 2% yielding company, or 1.5% even. But over time, you expect that dividend to rise a lot faster. Now, why would you care so much about this? Why not just buy uh, a higher yielding stock in the first place? Well, Ned Davis Research found that from 1972 to 2009, dividend initiators or raisers, these would be the the prime targets of a dividend growth strategy, uh, excuse me, went up 9.3% per year 
All dividend stocks, 8.6%. No change in dividends, 7.1%. Non-dividend payers, just 1.3%. Ouch. And dividend wow. cutters or eliminators, negative 1.3%. So compare 9.3% to 1.3% for the non-payers. That's a big, that's nine percentage points. That's a huge, every year, by the way, that's a huge number in an academic sense on a yearly basis, yearly compounded basis. So if you can find these growing dividend stocks, you are likely to have very nice capital gains as well. Right. It, it makes sense to a certain degree because dividends are paid out of the company's profits. If they are able to pay uh, dividends at a fast-growing rate, it means their profits are probably growing at a certain rate, right? Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Now, now there are cheaters. There are companies that know that people are looking for dividend growers, and so maybe they'll, they'll borrow money to start paying a higher dividend. And, hey, look, we're growing our dividend. They're not really growing their dividend in, in the spiritual sense. So, those companies you want to avoid. So, so, watch for any company that's taking out debt specifically to pay its dividend. If its payout ratio is higher than 100%, for instance, that would be a pretty clear indicator. And that's a number you can find easily on, on Yahoo or probably Google Finance, you know, some of those websites. What's a company name that our listeners would recognize that you would maybe say is a good example of a dividend growth stock? Um, Obviously, we can't predict how the stock is going to do in the future. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. But um, is Apple like? Would someone buy uh, Apple? Apple has been good. Yeah, Qualcomm is a name I looked at recently. They they've been pretty good about hiking their dividend. Um, that's pretty famous. Uh, Maiden Holdings is a small reinsurance company. It sort of insures the insurers. Uh, they've been pretty good at dividend growth too. If you Google for dividend growth investing, you'll find this whole subculture, and it'll it's kind of overwhelming. But but you'll definitely get into it quickly. All right. What's the next one we want to look at? Uh, probably the most common is this sort of stable dividend slash best of breed company. This is the, the the generic sort of archetype of of what a dividend is supposed to be like from from the old days, the 1950s. This this steady utility or consumer products company that's going to pay you four percent every year forever. This thing is rock solid. And those are great companies. I love to find those as sort of anchor stocks in my income investor newsletter. The challenge these days is that with low rates, so many people have piled into these. They're more the steady four percent yielder is more like a steady two point eight percent yielder. In other words, if the price goes up and the the actual dividend payout stays the same, the percentage yield drops. So the company's still paying you the same amount, but the price is just a lot higher. Uh, Verizon is one that I think is trading at a good price right now, 4.6% yield. There are not many uh, like that but these days, but this is traditionally a pretty good way to invest. I always like to talk a little bit about risk, and I think, James, you can tell me if you agree, like back in the late 1990s, people would have said GE is that type of stock, right? Yeah. GE, one of the, the only company that's still in the original Dow 12 from the late 1800s, it's one of those things that even, they used to call it an uh, orphan and widow stock, you can buy it and count on it. Had paid out an increasing dividend for 40 years, something like that. But then in the Great Recession of 2007, 2008, it crashed. They cut its dividend. And even now, it's still below its peak of uh, 2000, I think, or something like that. So even if you have one of these companies that you think, well, of course, Coca Cola or McDonald's is going to be around forever. You still have to be diversified because you just don't know what's going to happen. I think GE, interestingly, they basically became a finance company. Too. Right. I wonder people didn't notice, but like half their business or more was just financing, you know, stuff, and 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 that that hurt them a lot, obviously, in the financial crisis. So let's move on and talk about special dividends because they really aren't so special, are they? No, this is this is personally, you know, some people. Uh, I'm trying to think of the right without using expletive. I mean, this is <laughs> this is one of the worst 
strategies that you can use to try to, to, to invest in dividends. It's dividend capture or special dividend capture. Now, the reason being that, uh, technically speaking, when a stock pays a dividend, that money is gone. That valuation, that value has left the company. If a company has uh, you know, $50 million and they pay that out, well, it's $50 million poor, right? The exchange mechanically adjusts the price of the stock on that ex-dividend date by the value per share of the dividend. In other words, a $100 stock that pays a $10 dividend is going to become a $90 stock. So, therefore, any strategy that would seek to use short-term trading to capture these dividends, especially special dividends, in other words, like a big one, like a 15% payout, like a one-time thing, uh, these strategies don't make any sense. It's a terrible product if, if somebody's paying for investment advice about this. Uh, it's just ridiculous. You're, you're buying a $100 stock, you're getting your $15 special dividend, yay, but then you got an $85 stock. Um, I, I don't see the point. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. But but people continue to, to do this. So that's to, one you want to avoid, obviously. Yeah. And to the extent there's ever any advantage with that, there are people with billions of dollars and faster computers and better intelligence than you to get in and make that small gain if there ever was one. It's just very difficult for the individual investor to kind of make a quick buck on that type of move before Wall Street has already done it. Yeah, and, and the exchange is adjusting the price too. So it's not even. I mean, it's it, it's just a strange thing to to try to pursue. But it's just it's just curious that it's persisted so long. Um, ultra high yield, though, is it, if I can segue into the next strategy, please, if you don't mind. Um, that's that's sort of the, the the healthy version of this. Some companies just pay big yields. I've got a few in Income Investor. Uh, one is called Apollo Investment Management. This is a what's called a business development company uh, that makes middle market loans to companies that are a little bit too small just to go to the local bank, but a little bit a little bit too big to go to the local bank. Excuse me, but a little bit too small to do an IPO and go public. And and you know these guys typically have a nine or ten percent yield, which is really nice. High yield usually means risky. This is on the riskier end of the dividend spectrum. Sometimes you'll see these tanker companies that transport port oil or dry goods paying fifteen percent. So so don't you know kind of be a sucker and think oh all I have to do is buy the stock and I get fifteen percent. I just sit there happily. Uh, you'll get that fifteen percent for a while probably, but maybe it's at risk. It might get cut, or maybe the price is going to swing very very wildly. So there's no free lunch, and, and don't be fooled into thinking that a high yield is just automatically great. It's going to come with a lot of risk. Uh, one more I'll just add is foreign dividend investing, and that's not I mean, that can be blended with, with almost anything. But uh, uh, academic duo uh, Eugene Fama and Ken French found that from 1975 to 1995, the highest yielding foreign stocks outperformed the lowest yielding foreign stocks by about five percentage points annually. And that sort of matches some of the studies we've seen in the U.S. So, foreign stocks are, I think, an underappreciated dividend class by most American investors. A lot of people just think, oh, I've got to stay here in the U.S. Uh, there are a lot of great foreign stocks that pay a lot of great dividends. You've got to watch the, the tax situation, the tax treaty. Um, some, company, some countries, like England, have no additional withholding. Uh, some countries do have a withholding, and you'll need to file what's called a Form 1116 with the IRS to, to try to get a credit back from, from uh, a foreign withholding from certain, like France has kind of a higher uh, withholding. But in general, foreign dividend stocks can be great diversifiers. They will, one more thing I will say, they do tend to pay a percentage of earnings instead of a fixed quote unquote dollar amount. So in the US, companies will pay you a dollar per year, $3 per year, and they'll raise it by a certain amount. It's, it's denominated in the currency. In, in France or in South America, it's more common to see a company say, we're going to pay you 38% of our net income. So you assume the variability, 
And it's actually healthier for the company. In the U.S., we've got this notion that if a company cuts its dividend, that the company's dead meat. The stock price is going to get hammered. Uh, overseas, they're, they're a little bit more loose about that. And it's actually healthier. It's Europe. They're going to be a little bit more loose about <laughs> it. I mean, come on. So it sounds kind of complicated investing in foreign dividends, and maybe our listeners aren't interested in investing in individual dividends. So I imagine there are index funds or something you can do to buy a basket of these dividends. Yes. Do you have anything else? I just want to highlight a couple of options that people can use to invest in dividend-paying stocks if they want to do it as a basket, as a fund. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple of good exchange-traded funds. From Vanguard, one is the Vanguard High Dividend Yield ETF, and that's more along the lines of those tried and true blue chip types of stocks. It's basically looking at the the biggest companies that have the highest yield. So you're looking at like Exxon and Johnson and Johnson and all of those. You buy this ETF, you pay 0.1% expense ratio, which no, is like fantastic. nothing, yeah, nothing, um, and you own all kinds of stocks widely diversified. So that's an easy way to get into it. The other Vanguard ETF is the Vanguard Dividend Appreciation ETF, and this is the dividend growth ETF. So it's like James said, they may not be high yielders yet, but they've increased their dividends over each of the last ten years, and they're expected to keep growing their dividends. So these companies also have a lot of those big names like Coke and Procter and Gamble, but CVS, Qualcomm, some of these companies aren't considered dividend staples. Necessarily, but they expect to have higher dividends in the future. Also, 0.1% expense ratio, really cheap. James, it's been wonderful having you on again. This has been it is great. Always my pleasure. Uh, we didn't get around to talking about trees, which I'm a little sad, but maybe we'll have you Next back time, again maybe. in the future. Yeah. Not to mention dancing as exercise. That's another future topic. That is another future Anytime topic. you guys want. You guys can come to my studio anytime you want, no charge. <laughs> Thanks. We're going to really? take you up on come, that, dude. Come, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And actually, if you want to tell our listeners, what's the name of your studio? Uh, Sweat Vibes, www.sweatvibes.com. It's only useful if you're in the Washington, D.C. area. But. Yeah, but it is a very fun way to exercise. Oh, man. And it is a workout. No question about it. It is a workout. Uh, before we go, what is your parting piece of advice for people who are considering investing in dividends? I think Bro had it, uh, said it well. There are a lot of great funds out there if you're looking to start. If you're brand new to all this, thinking, my gosh, you know, taxes, uh, accounts, different styles, it seems complicated, but it's nothing that I would say 30 to 60 minutes of Googling will not straighten you out on really quickly. A fifth grader can figure out all of this. You just put in a little bit of time, find the right stock, find the right type of account, either tax-deferred or not tax-deferred, and you're ready to go. Uh, it's not that hard. I would get started with, let's say, at least three individual positions. I don't like somebody just jumping into one stock, because either I look like a genius or, or an idiot. Um, you know, you want to <laughs> spread out a, a little bit, but you get a little bit of skin in the game. Uh, start watching those dividends come in, and I think it'll automatically flow from there. And people can also learn more by subscribing to your newsletter, of course. They, they can, yeah, they if, can. if they want to, yep. If they yep. want to. Uh, you can do that by going to income.fool.com to learn about signing up for the newsletter. Uh, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee if you don't like it, but I think you will. You'll Wait till like you see it. James's like picture. You'll, you won't be able to say no. <laughs> so dreamy. Airbrushed. <laughs> All right, last week, Robert, you were going to price check uh, buying Amazon groceries online versus some of your local grocery stores. I think you were also going to check out dented cans on eBay and <laughs> what was, you could get over James, Craigslist. That was James's idea. But you're back. You're back to report on back. what you learned. So, first off, 
what outlets were you looking at? What stores were you looking at specifically? Right. So this came from a conversation with uh, one of our colleagues, and and I was saying, you know, Costco, it's a great place to go, great prices. He says, no, you know what? I buy it all off Amazon, which I didn't know you could do, and it's delivered right to your door, and the prices are just as good. So I'm like, okay, I'm not sure that's true. Skeptical. So I compared Costco to Amazon.com, but also included Target, mm-hmm. and the closest grocery store to me, which is a giant here in the Northern Virginia suburbs. So I compared all those I know exactly what giant prices. you're talking about. Yes. Um, and so, first of all, when you do this comparison, you have to acknowledge that to join Costco, you have to pay $55 a year. And for the Amazon.com to really pay off, you have to have the Prime membership so that a lot of stuff can be shipped for free, and that costs $99 a year, but you get other benefits like the streaming video. Amazon also has this thing called Amazon Pantry, Prime Pantry. Were you familiar with this? No, yes. but I also hate the word pantry. Does anyone else hate that word? <laughs> panting. Amazon panting. Um, so, for $5.99, they'll deliver whatever you can fit into a four-cubic-foot box. That's a big box. That's a big box. So, when I did it, I was able to fit 14 things into it. But so, obviously, with this comparison, you have to factor in those other costs. Which I didn't necessarily, but if you're going to do to Costco office or go to Costco or Amazon, you have to buy plenty to make those upfront costs worthwhile. All right. So, what items did you look at? So I just went and looked at all the things that the the bro camps typically buy. So anything from cornflakes to ketchup, um, pasta, laundry detergent, toothpaste, pain relievers. A total of about 30 items. Oh, in wow. All. You were very comprehensive. Yes. Well, thank you very much. So, and then I recorded all the prices and I put them all in a spreadsheet and I adjusted them, of course, for units. So, you know, if you go to Costco, you have to buy a lot. So I would calculate the price per, per ounce, ounce, for yeah, example, good. or something like that. Yeah. Very scientific. Well, yes, yes. This yes. is rigorous study. I'm so excited <laughs> to hear the outcome. <laughs> this is great. Well, you want to take a guess? I still think Costco. By far. Yay! By far. So, it, it had the best price in all of the items except three. So, I've, you know, the roughly 27 other items had the best price. Second place, anyone? Anyone? A giant? Target. Target. Wow. Target had the, second, the best price in two of the items and the second best in about two thirds of the others. Amazon and Giant came out about even. Mm-hmm. Except that the best prices from Amazon was often through the pantry. And like I said, you have to pay that $5.99. Shipping, so that often wiped out the advantage. Um, so, which is kind of like with financial with mutual funds. Now that I think about it, well, how do you mean? You wiped out because yes. you had to pay the fee. <laughs> right. You had to pay the five ninety nine fee. <laughs> exactly. So the fees were were digging into your returns. Right. Exactly. So if if um, you took going to your local grocery store, in my case, Giant, as your base, and you spent a hundred dollars there, it would have cost you about eighty nine dollars to get the same amount of stuff at Target. And about sixty-six dollars to get the same stuff at Costco. Yay! Yes, um, so much better. That said, there is the convenience factor of Amazon.com delivering stuff to your front door, and I wouldn't be surprised now that I I kicked around the tires that I would use it every once in a while. Well, there's not the joy factor of getting the free samples like you do at Costco. So <laughs> there's that. That is true. Or bringing home five pounds worth of whatever you have to buy at Bounty. Costco. It's amazing. You fill up your trunk. I should add that you can buy some of these things off Costco's website, mm-hmm. but the prices aren't as aren't as good and the selection is not nearly as good either. So 
you know, and the, for for me, up until recently, we would have to drive about forty minutes to get to the Costco. So you know, time is money. If you're busy, you know, I have four kids that I know of. Ordering some things off Amazon is probably going to be worth the price just to make sure we have it and we don't have to go spend time at the grocery store and driving to Costco. So there you have it. But you have to make your own choices, folks. My choice is Costco, man, and I'm a shareholder. Kaching. <laughs> Disclaimer time! People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talked about, especially Costco, hey! (laughs) And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy and sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Again, if you want to learn more about investing in dividends from James Early, you can check out his newsletter. Head to income.fool.com to sign up. Love it or your money back. The show is magically edited by Rick Engdahl. Theme music composed and performed by Dayana Yoakum. Our email is answers at fool.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Allison Southwick. That's A L I S O N S O U T H W I C K. Or you can follow Robert. He's at R O B E R T B R O K A M T. Robert Brokamp. K M P. What did I say? You said T. Of course I know how to spell your name right. I didn't. There's no way I said T. I said P. Whatever. She said T or P. T. I've been I've been outvoted. Brokant. Broke can't. Broke can. Yes, you can. Until next week, fool on. <laughs> <laughs>